Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Coming up on Sunday, our gospel reading will be the famous story of uh, Doubting Thomas, uh, touching Jesus' wounds and scars. He did not believe, even after he had the witness of his fellow uh, apostles. And I think, you know, we've probably all, when we've heard that story, thought to ourselves, good heavens, man, (laughs) what took you so long? But then we think back, and we recognize that the apostles themselves were rather slow in realizing the full mission that Jesus was accomplishing. My guest, Carl Olson, is the editor of Catholic World Report. He's also author of Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? Will Catholics Be Left Behind? And other books. He's a contributor to our Sunday Visitor newspaper, The Catholic Answer Magazine, The Imaginative Conservative, The Catholic Herald, National Catholic Register, Chronicles, and other publications. And he's also penned a really sharp uh, piece called The Three R's of the Resurrection. Hey, Carl, good to have you back here. Thanks. Thanks, Al. Always good to talk to you. Uh, I really like this. I really like this piece. Um, And I like where you started. you say throughout the Gospels, there's much about Christ that's hidden, mysterious, and difficult to comprehend. And the disciples are repeatedly depicted as misunderstanding Jesus. They're in constant need of further explanation about the deeper meaning of the parables and his teaching, uh, and, but especially about the events related to his passion, death, and resurrection. Right. Um, after all these years of studying the Gospels, are you any more comfortable with the apostles being so slow to believe? I actually like it more and more because it <laughs> reminds me more and more of myself. To be um, you relate better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think here's the thing that I think is so wonderful about how the disciples are portrayed. It's it's so real. Uh, we can relate to them, and it's not because it's great, just great literature. It really resonates with the reality of what was going on. These men have spent so much time with Christ, and yet in so many ways were confused. Obviously, we see after the, his death and his being placed in the tomb, we see a lot of fear, we see confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really resonates with us, because how many times have we often gone through fear or confusion? We wonder, is Christ really there? Does God really exist? And so I think their their reactions are so real to human nature, and it helps make sense of... I mean, I think the only thing that really makes sense of the resurrection, the claim of the resurrection, is that it, that it really did happen, because when we see all of a sudden on Pentecost, Peter out there proclaiming yeah. with boldness, yeah. fearlessness. We see men and women willing to go to their deaths. Uh, of course, we know that all the apostles, except for John, were eventually martyred. Yeah. And, and yeah. for what? You know. And so I think, uh, I more and more, I really think it is, is so such a beautiful portrayal of the truth of human nature in general, but of these men and women in particular. Uh, the story of Mary uh, of Magdala reaching the tomb while it's still dark. Um, why? Why when it's still dark? Uh, well, I think uh, she. My guess, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't think know for sure. I think it's because of her devotion. You know, I think mm-hmm. she. We see that she had this, uh, and from what we know, she had a profound conversion. Um, she's obviously kind of a mysterious figure herself, but I think it was out of this desire and devotion. But I think I think it, we could also maybe surmise that she was uh, being pushed, nudged by the Holy Spirit. Right? Mm-hmm. I think this is really wonderful that it's the women who first go to the tomb. Yeah, 
And it speaks to the real authenticity of these narratives, because as you know, Al, the, the testimony of a woman in uh, Jewish court and really Jewish society was worth basically little to nothing. Yeah, yeah. And so when, they, when, when the women, you know, go to the tomb and find it empty and go back to the, to the, the disciples, it highlights kind of the, again, the reality of the, the human reaction and the fact that the men are cowering, <laughs> the men are hiding. Yeah. The yep. women are willing, out of their, I think, their great love and devotion, and, and probably because, in a sense, they would be kind of overlooked, like they wouldn't be taken seriously, right? The men would be seen as possibly a threat, maybe going to steal the body or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think it's a great um, a great display. It shows us how, when Paul writes about how there's, you know, there's no Gentile or Jew, male or female, that there is a radical equality in Christ with those who've been baptized and received divine life. So there is a radical equality, and, and we see this already in the, the post-resurrection accounts. Have you given any thought, uh, you know, in, in apologetics, a lot of emphasis is placed on uh, the historical arguments, um, mm-hmm. and that any of the alternatives uh, to the resurrection uh, inadequ- inadequately ex- explain the facts that we have. Have you given much thought to what uh, I know uh, Benedict XVI has written about, uh, which is that we also know the risen Christ uh, in some way by our experience of him today? Yes, I think that we begin, uh, for me, I'll just say for me, I I had to confront as a fundamentalist, an anti-Catholic fundamentalist growing up, I had to come to grips with the reality of the Catholic Church and all of its sprawling mystery and wonder, and of course, in human terms, a lot of problems throughout history, but but why is the Catholic Church still here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. didn't make sense, and I think so. For me, it began with that, and then as I began to really appreciate this a little bit, the fact that yeah, Christ did in fact found a Church, and He didn't just want some kind of vague entity known as a Church out there, but one that really is tangible here, and of course it's true, the sacraments. I mean, I, I tell people the number one reason that my wife and I became Catholic is because we became convinced of the reality of the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. yeah. But that, of course, relies on the testimony of the Church, and that, of course, speaks to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So all those things are so intimately tied uh, together and are so, I think, imperative, you know, from my perspective, in, in the decision to, to finally become Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Th- Jesus is makes himself available to us uh, in the Eucharist in, in a special way, and you know our our ability to perceive or sense what's going on there uh, varies based on our disposition and um, you know how pre prepared we are to receive it. But um, it is amazing the the stories we hear of uh, men and women in dire circumstances, uh, who continue to bear witness uh, to Christ when they're surrounded by uh, betrayal, death, destruction. And yet, what remains for them, their, quote, peak experience, is receiving the sacrament. Uh, yeah, you know, of course, the term the term used for martyr, martyria in Greek, is... is the, the word witness, yeah. as you know, and 
so of course we refer to martyrs today as those who have been killed for Christ. In in the Gospels, it's used to refer to those who are witnesses. Of course, the two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I think there's a great aligning there that so often, as you mentioned, so many of the, the, the martyrs especially had such a profound belief in the Eucharist, such a, such a great devotion and love for our Lord in the Eucharist. And I think that when I when I would read accounts of that and stories that would make no sense except for that it's, this has to be reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be true. Um, it's, it's incredibly moving. Because I think it's I think it's important that we do look at the historicity and emphasize that the Christian belief is grounded in history. Absolutely. But I think we we also don't want to just discount the reality of these personal direct experience with Christ. And honestly, I think this is why St. Paul was kind of, as he says, born outside of, you know, this the, the given time, the right time, is precisely to, to point to the reality of the resurrection. Um, Paul had no reason to become a Christian. He had no, he was persecuting the Christians. Right. His story only makes sense if he, in fact, did have some kind of radical transformation and conversion. And, of course, he talks about more than one place, and three different times in, in the his writings, he talks about his conversion experience, or it's recounted in Acts as well. So mm-hmm. um, I think that both go hand in hand, and they complement each other in important ways. Yes, yes, very, very well said. You point out the three R's of the resurrection. The first one is the reality of it. Uh, this took place uh, in our world, uh, and Peter proclaimed that God raised this man on the third day. Uh, yeah. You, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I really have to, I don't talk about it much in there. I talk about it a lot more in my book. You know, there's different theories. Like, well, maybe Jesus, we talk about his resurrection, maybe it's a spiritual event, or maybe it's right. kind of a metaphor. Well, no, it, it really <laughs> does involve his actual physical body, which, of course, has been transformed and glorified. Yeah, I... <laughs> It's the the body that was crucified is the body that was raised. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, only when you have, from my perspective, only when you have an understanding of, to some degree of the connection between the Incarnation and the sacraments, the fact that what is created is right. good. God, What God created is, is good. And that He doesn't become man just because He had a task to do, but because... It is good to be in flesh. It is good to live in a created realm, as long as we keep it in proper perspective, that is, in the light of eternity, that there is more to it than this. But, of course, we live in a world where people think that's all there is. Right. So I think the resurrection, of course, speaks to this proper relationship between the supernatural and natural realm. People like to pit them against each other. Of course, the Gnostics like to do that. Mm-hmm. But from a Christian perspective, they are perfectly united precisely because Christ himself is fully man and fully God. And so the Incarnation, the Incarnate Lord, stands at the, at the center of this reality, and that's how it helps us make sense of why the Resurrection took place as it did, not just as a spiritual event, but as an actual historical, yeah. uh, real event. Yeah, yeah, and, and really, the, the, you start with the, the fact of his burial, and then the fact of the empty tomb, and you have to ask what happened there. Um I remember when I was in college, I had a physics professor. Uh, I had written some, you know, speculative paper on uh, the resurrection in physics. He and and uh, I was trying to trying to bear witness to him, and he he read the paper. Actually, he liked it. And I said to him, "I said, so what do you think happened there?" 
Uh, he said, well, I don't know, but something pretty big did. <laughs> that's, that's as far as yeah. he would go. So, and I refer to... I refer to the resurrection as the big bang within history. I like that. Yeah. There's a big bang by which God brought everything into being out of nothing, out of his pure will and power. So, too, we have a new creation that comes out of this resurrection event. So, a big bang within time and space. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very good. We're out of time, though. Um, you, You mentioned the reality the reliability of the witnesses, and then our responsibility uh, to share the truth of the resurrection yep. with people. Carl, thank you. Good talking thank with you. Thank you, Al. Thanks. Carl Olson.